generations are looking up at us from beneath the ground, and we never forget them. And I think that uh, we were looking up at uh, at our ancestors. Yes. And whether those ancestors were Rumi, as you just discussed, or whether it was uh, Pythagoras, or whether it was Shelley, or Keats, or or Yeats, or uh, Martin Luther King Jr., or whomever, that uh, all of these people had a very strong sense of passion. Uh, and it wasn't so much what they had to say as how they lived their lives that really intrigued me. And the second part of how this book came about is that I, uh, I really wanted to look at the, uh, the qualities of, of higher consciousness or self-actualization. Maslow was, a, was a, a very profound teacher in my life. In fact, he died the very same day, uh, on the 14th of June, 1970, that I received my doctorate. Wow. And I often felt that a baton was passed on, that he had sort of said, this is what it is now, you explain it to all the cab drivers and the pizza <laughs> delivery boys. Right. Because that's kind of what I did when I was growing up. Yes. And so I took the qualities of, of, of higher consciousness or self-actualization that Maslow spoke about, and I took 60 of the most profound teachers and I uh, put them together and decided to write an essay uh, a day for 60 days. I call this 60 Days to Enlightenment. Read an essay a day for 60 days on 60 of the greatest teachers and uh, watch what happens in your life. So can we expect a continuing series of uh, Wisdom of the Ages? <laughs> I was just asked that. Someone's asked me, you know, it's like chicken soup. <laughs> I don't know about Wisdom of the Ages for the golfer. I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, it's a good practice just generally, I think, to go back to um, what I would call perennial wisdom uh, because these these. These insights, these teachings, I mean, they are profound and they're timeless. Absolutely. And, and, and these people, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had the sense, Michael, of, uh, of walking in places where our ancestors walked. Um, particularly, I was in, the, uh, in Greece. Deepak Chopra and I were, we took a group of people to Greece uh, a couple of years ago, and we were walking through the Parthenon. Yes. Uh, and and you, he was saying to me, and the way he always says things, <laughs> yes. you know, do you realize that uh, you are drinking the same water that Socrates drank, and uh, yes. you're breathing the same air that Pythagoras breathed, and, the, and you're looking up at the same sun that, uh, you know, that Plato looked up at. And you have a sense of, uh, of our connection, because when you realize that we are not these bodies, we are not this world of form, that there's a sacred hoop, if you will, that connects everything that ever was and ever is uh, and ever will be, that uh, in, in, in a true sense, we are literally, spiritually connected to all of these people who, uh, who walked before us. And most of them, the, the intriguing thing about these people is that none of them died with their music still in them. You know, they, they had a strong sense of passion about their lives. And, yes. and they weren't going to get to the end of their life and say, what if my whole life has been wrong, like Ivan Illich? And they were also troublemakers. You know, almost so, so many of them, many of them were... Did Ivan Illich say that? Pardon? Did Ivan Illich say yes, that? Yes, right. Yeah. Really? What if my whole life has been wrong? You know, imagine lying on your on your deathbed, you know, mm. contemplating that thought and the yeah, death really. of Ivan Illich, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and that, as I said, they were troublemakers. I mean, these were people who... Uh, uh, you know, society sort of honors our living conformists and our dead troublemakers. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but many of these people were placed in prison. Some were crucified. Some were, many of them were thought to be insane. And yet they, they didn't seem to care about that. They were independent of all of that. You know what I heard when you said Ivan Illich? You know, I thought you were talking about Tolstoy's Ivan Illich. I was thinking of Ivan Illich. Oh, no, no. And no, the contemporary Ivan Illich. Right. I thought, oh, gee, did he say his life? You know, <laughs> yeah. No, Tolstoy's me. the death of Ivan Illich. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. 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 I want to yeah. make that distinction because I kind of got carried away there yeah. uh, with the other uh, contemporary yeah. Illich. 
Um, well, I'm in a historical mode here. So well, you know, <laughs> I just want to, I think it's a great point you make. And I, I can remember as a child, I grew up in Virginia and being struck by the, I got, had an early interest in the, in the Civil War. And of course, Virginia is, you know, a place mm, to have that interest. Yes. And I used to get my parents to stop at every battlefield, you know, and as a kid, I felt that the, the, the energy of the battlefield, you know, it was like an energy hit, mm. and it was like I was in touch with that, and and as a child, and you know, as I've gone, grown older in history, I've always wanted, I've always gone to historical places, and and it's like there's a morphic, you know, saying like in Sheldrake's terms, it's a morphic field of energy. Absolutely. Present. So when you go th- walk along the par- through the Parthenon, there's a morphic field of energy there. There's no question about that. I just had an experience. Let me share it with you. Yes. Because uh, I know how the show works. We can <laughs> do it stream of consciousness. Yes. I was uh, in South Africa 12 days ago, and uh, I spoke in Cape Town, and I spoke in Johannesburg. And uh, we took a, uh, a ferry over to Robben Island.